we need to challenge this standard because when this standard was set up, well, was set up like 25 years ago. Well, <laughs> that was a different thing 25 years ago. Today is different. Mm-hmm. And we need to, to review it and we need to challenge it. You know, if it comes from the automation company or the equipment manufacturer, we need to be able to understand and challenge it as well that it needs to be different because we are just creating another issue. And, 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 and people sometimes is, is maybe gets afraid or scared of, of trying to challenge something. But in my opinion, if you don't challenge, you're never going to see the benefit. You might never, you're going to be living with the same situation and the same problem over and over. And it's just going to make it more difficult for you. A whole new era of communication in the feed mill industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global feed mill industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a feed mill, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the global feed mill industry. Ivonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonic's focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. This is the Feed Science Podcast. I'm Adam Fairnolds from North Carolina State University on behalf of Wisenetics. Thanks for joining us. And today, as we have been going through the podcast series, we have another expert in the area of feed manufacturing. Today, our guest is Cesar Menendez. Cesar is the Director of Feed Manufacturing Technical Support for Smithfield Hog Production. How are you doing today? Doing good. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. Glad to glad to have you. So obviously, the Smithfield should be a name that a lot of folks will will recognize, and it uh, goes along with obviously a lot of pork and bacon and all that good stuff goes along with that. Is a whole lot of feed that's got to get made. Um, that is so correct. Got, yeah, so we've got feed all the way throughout the uh, all the way throughout the country and in other parts of the world as well. So, um, if you would, Cesar, start us off by giving us a little bit of your background, um, where you where you came from, and how you got to be. Uh, where you're at today. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, thank you, Adam, again for the opportunity. So, yeah, uh, I uh, grew up in Guatemala, eastern part of Guatemala. Um, After college, I got the opportunity, you know, to move into the United States, and I started working with with the Smithfield. I was back in 2008 as a a manager in training. Uh, A few years later, I got the opportunity to start managing uh, one of the company females uh, um, in North Carolina, that was about uh, 10, 12,000 tons a week uh, feed meal, pelletized feed meal with a three pellet lines. And that's where I kind of my uh, following seven years of my time um, went um, in that feed meal. Um, but then later on, I had the opportunity to move up to our corporate office and uh, to start working 
uh, as a director of film manufacturing for all or uh, at that moment was 15 females. Today, we only have 13 females um, across the United States and as well providing uh, the technical support, continuous improvement and investments uh, for all or females. That also includes uh, uh, all Mexico females as well. So uh, that is where I've been for the last uh, 15 years, and I've been enjoying my time, you know, all pretty much working uh, directly on, on feed milling uh, with all our teams. So thank you again for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. So you've, you've gotten to experience a few different different roles, um, obviously, throughout that kind of that journey. With all, of, with all of those different roles, what would you say has been kind of your favorite part of, of being in the mill, either the management side of it or particular areas of, of the mill? Uh, what has been the parts you found that you've enjoyed the most? You know, I really enjoyed the most is working with the people. I think that's where the most fun part comes because in a lot of the things that you face in a female on the day to day, even if it's a breakdown or a challenge or, or you know, redoing a SOP or a work instruction, uh, the best answer and the best practice sometimes are between the same people in the female. Just sometimes, you know, we don't listen to them or we don't sit down to understand uh, you know, the real opportunities or the real challenges that rely between the female. So that part is the part that I probably most enjoy is working with the people, uh, understanding, uh, you know, making a plan, what do we need to be next? Uh, what is the focus of what we need to work into it? But that involves in every area, you know, even uh, not necessarily just with the between the mill manager, um, also between the people down doing the, the real, what I call the real work, <laughs> uh, you know, the mill operators or the maintenance guys um, are, I think, the, the, the most important part where I, where I enjoy a lot of uh, uh, working in a field mill. How would you say with that in mind over the years, and and seeing different people come in, whether in it be from the operator up to, like you said, the mill managers, how would you say the employees you think have changed in, in, you know, where they're coming from, what they expect when they get there, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think uh, as we move forward, Adam, I think we're going to be facing in the industry a more challenging situation because I think the landscape kind of has changed after COVID pretty dramatically on the way people see uh, working a feed mill or working in agriculture, I think. Um, the, 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 uh, finding that key people that wants to be uh, hands-on, that, you know, doesn't bother to work in, um, in, a, in a, you know, kind of some dust environment, high-temperature environments or cold temperature, depends the season, of course. It's becoming more and more difficult because... You know, I think uh, a lot of people now thinking that, you know, working behind a desk is, is the dream, maybe maybe job for everybody. And, and uh, finding those key candidates has become a very challenging. So over time, we're finding a lot of less people uh, to try to work uh, longer hours. Uh, we have to be able to make sure that, you know, you are uh, providing, of course, a more safer environment for the work. Um, a lot of less um, hand-type jobs, you know, in relying a lot of more on automation. It's kind of where we're probably going to be heading in the future where we have to be, become to rely a lot of more on automation because 
uh, the ability to attract people in the way that they've seen today to work in agriculture and as we move forward it's going to be going more and more challenging to try to recruit people, especially in local areas, you know. In females are not necessarily, um, you know, are not necessarily even on the local area. It's also females tend to compete with a lot of other high-paying jobs um, in, in, in the area where they operate, you know, either because you merely sit down on a glass plant, for example, or, or a factory that, manufact- that makes tires, um, or, you know, or a our, our mill right contractor, some, something uh, something like that, or construction contractor, some uh, jobs that makes even more difficult and more uh, and, and to, for you to compete to find uh, high-quality people because, you know, you have to be able to pay higher. And then once you pay higher and as you are in agriculture, it's, it's, it, it, it turns into a more difficult situation for that. So, again, you have to... One, be more efficient to be able to attract that as compared to years ago, more safer, and, and of course, continue to think and rely more into the automation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think those are all really good points from, from kind of continuing that, that train of thought, I guess. So we obviously know that salary and pay is a huge part of, of what people are looking for in any job, any walk of life. People, people want to be paid. But beyond that, what have you guys found works or or even doesn't work to keep these people? You get somebody, you've trained them, they they you think they're pretty good. How do you keep them in the mill when it is dirty, it's dusty, it's hot, it's cold, it's um, hard work, hard labor, and as you just said, you know we're competing with other places that may be able to offer them a similar you know uh, pay structure. And maybe they get to go work in a factory that's air conditioned instead of one that isn't. Correct. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and, and I think that also uh, goes back to what I just said a while ago is where it's going to become more challenging. And you have to think outside of the box how you can do that better. But I think one that is very important is to make sure that you are listening to the people. You understand the challenges they're facing in the day to day work and also that you are providing uh, the necessary tools for them to be able to do their job in a safer way, and they are motivated uh, for that reason as well because they know that they are working in an environment where the manager listens or the higher-ups, even if it's, a, I don't know, an area manager or a general manager or a, beep or a vice president person, um, is listening, is understanding, and they feel that they're engaged into the conversation and then they feel good about it, you know, to being there because they know that they come to a place where one of the management is listening. Management help them to and support them to make the job better, more simple, more efficient and easy. But also, of course, you know, the most important, you have to compensate the one way or the other one to maintain attractive and to stay competitive. So I think you, you have to... For one side, you know, your HR needs to review, okay, how my meal is where the area and I am, so I'm compensating these employees properly based on the area that the female operate. But the most important is, you know, is is, is the management of the males and, and are listening and are supportive or with the job they're doing. Because a lot of times people don't leave because it's a bad company. You know, people leave because they have a bad manager, a manager that doesn't support them, that doesn't help them and doesn't listening. So that puts a lot of challenges. But as well, the manager needs to be listening as well, right? The manager 
needs to rely on somebody on the higher up that he can reach out. He can be on, in, in contact on him. He can, he know that he can get answers and he can get the necessary support to do his job. I think it's as long as you look at that, those, at least those two things, you know, of course, evaluating how I'm compensating over time. And secondly, assuring that I'm listening and I'm providing the resources for the people in the mills and I'm making the place better for them. Is a thing the could two key things that will help you to retain that people for a long period of time. Sure. One of the things that I know that you guys do there at Smithfield that I think is a, a really interesting way to approach that of, of listening to them, but also giving them maybe that continuing education so that they know that they're, they're learning is actually doing a, like a manager school once a year. And certainly a lot of, a lot of different companies will do something where they'll, they'll bring all their managers together and have a meeting and talk about new requirements, new rules, something to do with HR, safety, that sort of thing. I, I don't think that's necessarily unique, but you guys take that a step further and actually turn it into, okay, we'll, we'll do the business side of the business meeting and cover those things but we're also going to do some training. We're going to, we're going to teach you something new while you're here and, and make it something where you actually see value in coming to this. And it's not just, you know, being told about the new things in the business. It's something that helps you be better in your job. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that process has been like putting that together and the kinds of things you do when you do that manager school? Yeah, that's, that's a a very good point. Glad you brought it up um, because I've, I think, you know, we always hear every day in the meal uh, what we need to do right and what we're not doing uh, right when it comes to the expectations from the nutritionists or the expectations from the procurement people. The multiple support departments sometimes that surround around that meal that, you know, they're thinking that they know also how to run the meal and are telling us, you know, where we are failing. But I think the continuous education for the manager or for those supervisors, and as well for all the operators in the mill, I think, in my opinion, is very important to be able to, to, to make them aware that you value what they do, and as you value what they do, you are investing on as well on their continuous education so they can be better. So that's been a very uh, a priority of, of, of what I've been doing the past five years during this role is to, you know, get the meal manager away from the meal because it's one thing provide a training in the meal as it is different to take it away of the meal to a different room uh, uh, where they will not be distracted and focusing on, on key issues that we as an organization may be facing and that they need to make it better and improve it by listening from others in the industry or other these experts, you know. So normally I go around, I go around, um, you know, and ask them, hey, what you would like to, to see? Well, who you would like to come into the room and talk to it and, uh, and discuss a topic or, or help us to teach a, a topic? And, and we have done, you know, different Approaches. I, you know, one year we got together in a, in a, in a room in Iowa, and then we had the chance to go to visit uh, uh, a DDG plant. You know, a following year we got the opportunity to be in North Carolina, and we went to visit uh, our own field, you know, to see some improvements, uh, a, a bigger project that we have done in the past few years. And most recently, took the approach to 
kind of go with people like you. And we, we went to Kansas State with Charles Stark, and I thought I was talking to you that maybe next year we do something in combination with you or Arbonne University or something where, you know, we we kind of line up a certain key topics that we need to be refreshing, we need to be understanding. While the female, you know, hasn't changed much when it comes to designing equipment for so many years, I think that it's still a lot of a lot of ongoing, a lot of things that may not necessarily we don't know, but also it's important that key reminder of the key things that are important in the female that they might need to be refreshed of it. And by listening from the experts or people from the academy, uh, make it worthwhile, but also to, again, you know, bring them in understanding that we appreciate all their contributions and we are willing to invest in their, in their continuous education to make us better and for them to, to, to facilitate even better what they do on the day to day. Once again, my guest today is Cesar Menendez, the Director of Feed Manufacturing Technical Support with Smithfield. So you just kind of made a couple comments there at the end. I think it's a good segue into kind of the next part of the discussion about what has changed or even not changed on like the equipment side of things. So when you when you look at that from from your time in the in the industry what do you think have been some of the major changes and the evolutions in the equipment and the operations of the feed mill that have had the the biggest impact that you've seen in your facilities? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing I have seen it, uh, Adam, in, in the past few years is automation. And again, and again, that kind of goes along with what we discussed, uh, what we were started discussing early. Uh, where the importance of relying more on automation to, you know, to not necessarily non rely on needing the people, but to make the process of the work a lot more efficient and less heavy lifting or heavy work uh, by utilizing automation, but also to creating a more safer environment for everybody that works in the field. And I think that's an opportunity um, that probably as we look forward and as you look, you know, especially um, I had opportunity to be in, uh, in Western Europe and in, in, in a few females there were, you know, Europe has been for the last few years facing a lot of that, that, that similar situation that we're probably going to be facing here very soon. Unlimited people are willing to work in the high cost of living, in the high cost of operation uh, to do that. So they have to rely a lot on automation, on sensors and things like that to be able to minimize the need of main power. And I think that's something that, in my opinion, has, evol- has evolved and will continue to as we move forward and as well with artificial intelligence, where, you know, there's a lot of things that that actually, you know, you think about it, can be incorporated into the, into our operating system to call it my smart system, you know, where mm-hmm. I saw one in Germany uh, early this year, you know, where uh, the system kind of depends on the level of the alarm makes automatic decisions. So they don't need a people in the control room. You know, people just can be sweeping, can be working on a piece of equipment, looking at a screen, and there is a level at some point that will trigger the need of a main input to be able to continue or not. So a lot of those things are exciting things. But also, you know, when you look on equipment, uh, there is quite a bit of things out there that also been changing, you know, like, you know, we used to, when you look at pellet mill, you know that it's 
there is the, the three-row polymer, right? Or the two-row polymer. And there is so many discussions what is best or what is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that all has their own usability depends on the process. But also, you know, you see now recently a one-row, what they call a mono-row on a couple of companies out there that have been looking into that uh, technology to uh, reduce energy, be more uh, um, and efficient on the way they use it, more sustainable. Um, also, uh, look into roles that don't longer going to have the need to of grease. You know, it's just going to be an oil lubrication process, which also goes back to sustainability. You know, a lot of less use of uh, of grease. And, of course, sensors. Sensors is the, probably the next big thing that is exciting because there's a lot of quite a good developing. I think when the temperature sensors and the alignment sensors or, or motion sensors, all the things came in place, it was a big thing, of course. And, and especially when you, um, you know, have it all together in the same automation process. But I think there is a lot of other things as well evolving over time that are going to be excited uh, to, to, to seeing a female and making more more efficient with a lot of less manpower as we normally will have today, especially in the United States. Yeah, it, it, I, think the, uh, I think there's a lot of things there that you talked about that are are really exciting and, and really interesting. Um, the things on on artificial intelligence and the collection of data, it's, it's one of those things that I think we've talked about for a long time of even now, we have the ability to collect quite a bit of data out of the mill that I always referred to the automation systems and they're all they're all similar in this in this way, whether it be any one of the major manufacturers, that depending on the facility you're in, mm-hmm. the the automation system, what it can do and what it's collecting, it's kind of like when we talk about our brain and we say, oh, you only use like seventy percent or thirty percent of your brain. Actually, the other seventy yeah, percent. Yeah, exactly. I think of that a lot about automation systems, and I see I go, we're you know, it's just we're just using it to you know batch feed and run a pellet mill. And how much more could it do even now versus what it's going to be able to do eventually seems like there's a huge potential there. Exactly right. And very good comment because um, adding to that, Adam, I think that, you know, we have started or as the systems, you know, now we start collecting a lot of data and, and a lot of these automation companies, you know, have begun using like uh, an, an ignition. Ignition is a very powerful tool that, you can technically have a limited amount of, of, of ways to collect data. The thing is, is, is as we move forward and we're collecting all this data, now is okay, what we're going to do with this data, how we're going to analyze mm-hmm. it, you know, how I can interpret this data into useful data. Um, I've been challenging a lot of things as we have discussions with automation companies that, like, you know, how we begin measuring um, uh, efficiency in the mill, how we can rate the mill on how it operates based on a standard, um, how I'm performing against that on a, on a weekly basis by making that data available to anybody in the organization or in the female to see do I am what I need to be. Because normally what we do today is we go by the tonnage, right? We say, well, our target is this amount of tonnage. But we don't know if maybe one pellet mill is outperforming and the other one is not, and that is just making it up. But you're missing, at some point, you're missing that you really have a problem with one machine, mm-hmm. and the other one is actually your standard, and now you need to look at this machine, what you can do, and a lot of that can be easily put up at there by all this data that is being collected by this automation system. So that's a, that's a good point. 
Yeah, it's it's a um, you know the the term that gets thrown around a lot in academic circles is the idea of big data and big the, data. that that idea of it being so much data that we can't analyze it with just you know let me look at this chart or let me um, you know do some real basic statistics or something. But no, it it has to be done with something along the lines of artificial intelligence or a machine learning or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Because there's, you know, I, it, I, I've always been, uh, you know, very interested in the, the pelleting side of things. If, if there was a particular part of my, my program here or going back to when I was a graduate student in my, what I worked on for my graduate degrees, the pellet mill has always been really interesting to me. And I think it's a really good example and other things in, in the feed mill work too, but the pellet mill is a pretty simple device really but then when we think about all of the things that can impact whether or not I'm making a good pellet and an efficient pellet, I, I can just start listing them and number on them and, and not stop and go on for quite a long time and then realize that all those things actually interact with each other. So it's not just that when, you know, ambient temperature changes a little bit, this happens. It's, well, it happens this way if there's a lot of fat in the diet, but not that way if there's not as much fat in the diet. And there's a huge opportunity there, I think. Exactly. And there is a, a huge opportunity as well on predictable right. uh, failures, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, so where, you know, you look at it, like you say, it's, it's as simple as a pelomel, right? And, and you look at pelomel and a female that they tell you, yeah, it's been since it's 18, 1985, 1980s. And you see one that you just purchased uh, last year in another place. They look exactly kind of the same. Right. But there is something exact. It, it's something very interesting. You know, it's a lot of more sensors. You know, it's a you know you can you can name it a, 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 a oil level sensor, a, a flow sensor, a pressure sensor, a temperature sensor. And a lot of those things depends on the type of sensor. You know, you start collecting data that over time you can easily to see instead of getting to the stopping point because a lot of sensors are kind of like that's like a vibration sensor. You know. Uh, that, that I always talk about. I say vibration sensors, a lot of are there that are in the market to are, you know, females. Are the moment a vibration sensor comes on, the equipment is pretty much done. Yeah. You know, it's, yep. It's, yep. You, you got to go buy a new rotor or something went really bad and now you got to spend a huge amount of money to be able to get it fixed. But I think that as we're moving forward, predictable and being able to ask, do you, these systems are collecting this data now ahead of time, I can get a warning that say, look, this is start increasing in, in, in this predicting to be a failure and you being able to say, okay, I need to make a decision now. And, and maybe at that point, you're going to spend a fraction to address and maybe just going to take an alignment, you know, as a normal thing, just going to get that aligned and the problem going to be solved. Or I got to get a new role or new diet. It's probably time to do that. So it's a very exciting, it's a very thing out there that, you know, we're going to be seeing the coming years. Yeah. We, we, uh, on your vibration, I, 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 you and I have talked about it before and with some others, I, it's one of those things we talk about with like hammer mills, for example, right? It's yeah. like, no, that, yeah. that vibration sensor only tells me when the hammer mill is about to walk across the floor <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. it, it, and yeah. turns everything off. It doesn't tell me when, you know, something went through the hammer mill and one little chip came out of one hammer. And now I'm starting to lose some grinding efficiency. And eventually I'll start to get off balance and have a very, you know, I want to know then, and it might not be that I'm shutting the machine down right now, but Oh, something's going on. The next time we shut the machine down, 
we want to open it up and look and see what might have caused that small thing. Not, you know, not the catastrophic failure isn't necessarily what we're always looking for. We're looking for the small places where we could make those adjustments or, or those fixes. Yeah, exactly. And I, 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 you know, majority of the times, doesn't matter, you know, no, doesn't matter if it's in your company or any mail, I've been, you know, uh, even outside of, of our network when, when we talk about, especially since we're talking about honey mills and honey mill failures are related that when you go open the vibration session, for example, it's been moved all the way to the other end where, you know, really the, 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 the sensitivity of that vibration is so high that, or, or so low that, 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 that honey mill needs to be jumping or walking away mm-hmm. from his place to be able to shut it. And I always say, well, you see, this is the failure. You know, you move it completely away and, and, and throw the purpose of the sensor. Well, yeah, because it was shutting us down before. Well, it was shutting us down. It was telling you something. Right. And, and they tend to, to easily move that away. So if we begin to take that away with a sensor, you know, that now and instead of we have mechanically adjusting all the metal, that means this guy just go adjust it because it's, a, it's annoying. He thinks that there's nothing wrong. It's just because it, it's... it's just shutting me down. And uh, and as we just rely on the automation system to analyze and to grab the data and as it start continuing registering and increasing uh, curves of, of that vibration, now it can tell me ahead of time, you know, what is the issue. But that's a good point. You know, people, it's one of the biggest things I always encourage anybody in field milling. I said, look into your sensor. Do not disable. If it's something that you think uh, it can be better, challenge the automation company back and say, look, you know, this, this uh, uh, an example is I talk about uh, uh, alignment sensors on bucket elevators. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say, well, an alignment sensor immediately shut me down. I don't want them to immediately shut me down because the bucket elevator then I may create another problem. I may break the belt. I may create another issue because the elevators are full low. Well, then maybe we change it to 15 seconds or 30 seconds to allow that elevator to empty and then shut it down. And then you go and find what the issue is challenging that uh, and i think it's very important and look at it instead of avoiding or ignoring or bypassing it you know yeah. because it's a big mistake and then you can create a real other issue in the future and i i think and i i'd like that point at the end there about like setting the timings because i think i think that's something else and it has a lot to do i suppose with the the folks that end up coming to work in in the feed mills and uh, in, in where they're coming from you know they might have a lot of mechanical expertise but not necessarily a, a great understanding of some of the the more higher technology things in a lot of cases and i know that i have been in mills in the past and i've had you know conversations with operators and said well why don't we adjust this or adjust that and they will they have said to me oh well you can't do that you know the the automation system you know it, it comes it comes programmed or whatever they do when when they install it and you can't make change and it's like oh no 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 everything in here can be changed you know sometimes obviously it comes with a cost and that cost can shock you and you're like wait you want you want how much money to do this one little adjustment that i i want you to make but you're but it's exactly what you just said where it's Oh no! I mean, oh, you don't like how it shuts down that quickly? I guarantee you, there's a setting, and it might even be one that we can change. And if it's not one that we can change, it's certainly one in the code that they can change to where that happens ten seconds later. And getting the operators and the managers to understand you don't like exactly how it works. Well, see what it would take to fix it because it's probably not something you can't change. Exactly, and and that's something you know, very good point because also 
I encourage that some, sometimes you go back in the automation, you question, right, and say, why, why is this way? And they say, well, is this standard, right? Mm -hmm. It's always a standard. And I always say, well, we need to challenge the standard because when this standard was set up, well, was set up like 25 years ago. Well, <laughs> that was different in 25 years ago. Today is different, mm -hmm. and we need to, to review it, and we need to challenge it. You know, if it comes from the automation company or the equipment manufacturer, we need to be able to understand and challenge it as well that it needs to be different because we are just creating another issue. And, 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 and people sometimes is, is maybe gets afraid or scared of, of trying to challenge something. But in my opinion, if you don't challenge, you're never going to see the benefit. You might never, you're going to be living with the same situation and the same problem over and over. And it's just going to make it more difficult for you. So yeah. challenging the standard, making it different, it will help you to improve it, but to be better in the future. Sometimes the standards are created as well for people that maybe never work in a field mill. No, never had an idea what it really means on that sensor when that when shows that equipment down, you know. But the proper moment in understanding and providing that feedback is important. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, we have to deal with the fact that in in our industry, and of course, this is this is an issue in every industry, but certainly in ours, in, in the margins and things that we operate is when we want to do these kinds of things, automation is a great, a great focus on it because of some of the expense that goes on, especially if you want to be an early adopter of something. And a lot of what we get in the feed industry has already come through other industries and been proven and the costs have come down. But some of these things are, are end up being such a hard sell in our particular, ah, we've always made feed. It's always been this way. I remember back in the day when we pulled this chain and turned this dial and we made, it was fine then too. And what do you mean you want to invest this hundreds of thousands of dollars in sensor packages across the, and then we get hung up on the, well, is it going to meet our two-year ROI and all these other things that can make adopting some of these so difficult. So we always all have to figure out that balance too of, We'd like to do this. Okay, what do, how do we assign a value to it? And, and how do we go through and then be able to take the data that we at least have so far and say, well, this is what it could potentially save me if I would know this problem a little quicker or if I could you know, make this process even 1% more efficient. How much would that be worth? That kind of and thing. that is correct. That is correct. You, and I think there is a... Sometimes you don't have to think twice, so you don't have to dig too far to be able to find payback when it comes to this type of thing, you know, because I always say, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of, of a lot of safety, especially on bucket elevators when it comes uh, to, to fire prevention, explosion mm -hmm. prevention, you know, alignment, say, uh, uh, temperature sensors, and, and sometimes, I, you know, people might say, what do we, why we need to invest this money on, on this much on automation? And, and I always say, well, how much are you going to cost us today if, yep. if that female blows up, right? I mean, a female today doesn't going to come easily in the 50s or 70 millions, maybe close to 100 million, depends what you want to do and how you want to do it in that female. And that's a real number, real value. But the most important is the people that works in there. You know, if something happened, the loss of a life or something, that doesn't have really a cost on it. Yep. You know, that then can turn into a big deal. So... Uh, yeah, in challenging management, you know, understanding how important it is and how it's good to look into a lot of these technologies that can bring a lot of value is important. So I always tell the managers too as well, and I encourage anybody, you know, challenge, like I tell them, challenge me, you know, where do you think we need to be or what we should do? 
ask me, tell me where we need to do so. So, um, because I think it's, it's, it's important that we're all in the same page and then we drag that message up, up a higher level in the organization to also bring them aware of the importance and in, in the value that a lot of those things can do in our videos. Yeah. And I think another misconception, and, and honestly, I think this has probably been a misconception with technology for a very long time in, in our industry as well, in other, in other places, kind of just in, in you know, life in general, probably. But I, I think especially where we're at in the feed industry today, there's also this idea of, well, are we trying to automate, and I'm going back with people now, safety and everything else, but also on the management side, are we, are we automating and artificial intelligence, whatever it is, to have less people in the facility? And as you said earlier, in some cases, yes, because we, we're having a hard time finding people. But in other cases, it's no, I would just rather have this person focusing on quality assurance or on management or on sanitation or on all the regulatory things that we have to do that aren't getting any less. We're only getting more of them. So it's it ends up, I think, being a lot of cases giving us that ability to repurpose positions into things that actually have more value than sitting and clicking a mouse all day. That is correct. And that is correct. Or, or, or having a broom, right? Sweeping. Mm-hmm. I always say they always, we always discuss about, you know, oh, I got to have this housekeeping people. Well, if we, if we have housekeeping, there is a source of that. Yeah. And, you know, how you address that. And I always say you are just, you know, I'm not, we're not addressing the source or what is the need to have these people. It's the purpose is to re, re- actually purpose what these people is doing into the really where we need to add more value. Quality is a good point. You know, and a lot of things where, you know, you, you, that person that spends a lot of time on that broom, if you address why he needs to be sweeping every day, um, then that person maybe needs to focus into, into sampling uh, mm-hmm. to see where is belly quality, where is my ground corn. And with that today, you know, I mean, everything can be on a cell phone with an NIR, handheld NIRs that also mm-hmm. we've been working and our, our nutrition team has been working on, 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 you know, putting some of those out there to the use of the mails. Uh, but there is a lot of good things there that, you know, you repurpose that people into something that also adds value. It adds value for the reason to have that people because you can say, look, I'm taking samples, I don't know, every hour or every two hours to monitor my quality if maybe that pelman now start leaking mash because a seal went out on that door or that dump chute came loose and you haven't seen it very good and now you are not making pellet, you're making mash. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a screen broke and you didn't notice it. And so it's so a lot of things that, of course, eventually you can probably also rely with a sensor or NIR things in the future as things evolve. But for now, you know, repurposing or where that person can add value um, it's, it's very important. It's not meaning cutting or eliminating jobs. It's about how we're going to affront the future uh, where, you know, the, the, the labor is already a big limitation, not just in feed milling. It's being a big deal, as you know it, across almost every industry out there. Absolutely. It's time for our famous three. Well, Cesar, I've very much enjoyed our conversations. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this up here with just a uh, a couple of questions. The first one I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little. If if you could identify a position or an opinion that you have in 
the area of feed manufacturing, again, it could be in management or what we should be doing with equipment or something like that, that you know is unique to you. Something that you know, you've had arguments with others about, like, I think we should be doing this in this way. And everybody's going, no, Cesar, you're, you're, no, that's not what we should be doing. Do you have a good example of, of one of those that it's like, this is something that I know is, is not an opinion that everybody shares, but I think it's something that we need to be doing or, or would like to do differently? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if I probably have a good point, but uh, in my opinion, I am the person that I like to challenge things the way we normally have done it. On thinking about that is other ways to do it. SOPs are great and all the standards are great, but the standard may not necessarily fit what we have today. And sometimes listening to the people in the mill and understanding uh, what their limitations and how they believe that the job can be done instead of a standard. Because the problem is when you are forcing a standard into something that don't necessarily make sense, people will tend to pencil whip. And now mm-hmm. you're not really, you just have a process that is worthless, it's taking everybody's time, and there is no value for it. So challenging what the normal it's been done to make sure it fits the actual environment is what I normally am that person, you know, that likes to step into and say, no, this is not right. You know, I think you think this is the right thing, but it's not. Let's sit down with the mail. Let's listen to them and let's get what it will be. It should be the best way to do it. So challenging, I guess you can say the status quo or how to do things. Yeah. I, 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 the way they change that gives me the impression that, when you have an idea of, of a way that you, of something you'd like to try, you do not like being told we can't do that. I think you're probably thinking, do you mean we can't, or do you mean we don't know how? Because those are not the same answer. We, right. We, we, because we don't know how to do it right now. Doesn't mean that we can't do it. Right. That is correct. That is correct. It's, it's, it's in, 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 again, challenging, uh, you know, and, and understanding in the mail, is this going to be, usable are we going to be able to do it uh you know or now then we let's adjust it let's let's re let's go to the whiteboard let's rewrite it and let's make it sure that now is a process or it is something that it really want to fit what we expect and that we actually going to get value out of it yeah yeah all right so last question then it would be do you have any good suggestions for anybody that would be listening in the audience? And we figure we've got folks from the nutrition side and from the feed mill side and operators, managers, whoever might be listening. Um, any suggestions for really good resources that you've used throughout your time in the industry that you keep going back to? And in this day and age, it, it could be websites, it could be newsletters from particular organizations, the organizations themselves, um, you know, textbooks, anything along that line that you think, you know, this is something that I think everybody in, in our world should, you know, should have access to, to, to keep themselves up to date or learning or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's, yes, good, good point. Um, you know, Adam, there is a lot of resources, of course, out there and, you know, everybody talks about the, the, the feed manufacturing book that sure. a lot of you folks have worked into it, but I, I'm going to go more into, you know, the, um, you know, the, the internet, I think the internet, I mean, the today average person has, more information, access to more information 
on that cell phone device that probably the president of the United States had in the 1970s or 1960s, right? Yeah. So that makes a very powerful thing that, that you should utilize uh, by being into. But a lot of times you go back to the equipment manufacturer websites, if it's a CPM or an Andus or whatever, they also have a lots of good information and a lots of things that they are continue evolving and and and, uh, and working in them and putting out there from the industry. And I always encourage to go out, read, uh, see what they're doing, what what is changing, what they thinking about about pelleting, batching, and grinding is a really good resource. Another thing I sometimes I talk about it is. Um, is uh, I uh, one of my former bosses gave me one time a book. We were for some reason I was I, I remember I was I, I don't know we were discussing about something on a bottleneck, and he gave me the next day he came back and gave me a book. The book I remember the name is the Goal, and you can Google is the Goal. I think one of the co-authors is Jeff Cox is the last name. Okay, and and, and it's a good book because it kind of opens your mind to how you should see a process, you know, where is my bottleneck, how I address that bottleneck, how I move to the next bottleneck, how I convince management the importance and the value that, 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 or, or, or the opportunity that that bottleneck is creating. And I encourage anybody, any mill manager out there or wants, wants to be a mill manager in the future, read that because when you come into the female, you're going to get to experience a lot of that. And it's always evolving, right? Because, I mean, every time you got to come out, you got to do more formulas or a different recipe, deal with different ingredients. And those things immediately, you might have a perfect meal today, but tomorrow a new diet comes, a new ingredient. is a normal bottleneck might come <laughs> along with that as well. And I think having that open mind, uh, that book helped me a lot to, to be very open um, on, on dying, how you see the, the way to run a field. Excellent, excellent. Once again, my guest today has been Cesar Menendez. Cesar is the Director of Fee Manufacturing Technical Support for Smithfield. It's been a great conversation, Cesar. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, Adam. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. This has been the Feed Science Podcast. I'm Adam Farenholz from North Carolina State University. And on behalf of Wise Genetics, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.